All right, Locked On NBA. Yesterday, we did the East. Today, we're here to break down the Western Conference at the All-Star break. I'm John. Jake's with me. You ready, Jake? Absolutely. Let's do it. Let's hit it. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Yeah, you are. Locked on NBA. New format here. John Corral is here with Jake Madison, man. This is going to be a whole new thing that we do. It's a five day a week. Now, the thing about the Locked On Network is we've all done five days where the daily podcast network kind of made a name for ourselves doing daily podcasts. Locked On NBA now joins the rest of the crew with a rotating set of hosts. David Locke still going to do his thing, but then the rest of the week, it's going to be uh, different people, different days. So today it's me and Jake. Now, if you need to follow me, if you haven't heard of me, I'm John Corrales. I'm one of the hosts of the Locked On Celtics podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Reds Army underscore John. And I'm Jake Madison, host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. You can find me on Twitter and social media. It's at Nola Jake. Yeah. So we're here to, we're, we are tasked with breaking down the Western Conference, a wild, crazy Western Conference at the All-Star break. And the way we see it, there's like 3.5 tiers that are going on in the West. There's the bottom four, Phoenix, Dallas, Sacramento, Memphis, all have 18 wins. Then there's the middle of the pack, Utah, Clippers, Pelicans, Blazers, Nuggets, Thunder, Minnesota, and Sacramento, I mean, uh, in San Antonio, all within four and a half games of each other. Wedged in between there is the Los Angeles Lakers that doesn't belong in either group necessarily. So that's the point five. And then obviously the top of the West, Houston versus Golden State. So that's how we're going to break this down in those tiers. So let's just start at the bottom and work our way up to the top. Uh, Phoenix, Dallas, Sacramento, Memphis. They are separated by two and a half games. They've all got 18 wins. The NBA has... Uh, if you look to the East, there's another two teams with 18 wins. The Nets have 19. So there's a big race to the bottom. Uh, let's let let's start at the bottom here with this with with these guys and kind of see how this is all going to shake out, Jake. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. This is certainly where we kind of hit the point in the season where tanking becomes fun and in vogue, and we finally get to watch some teams play these young guys that you've been waiting to see all year. Maybe a little bit more so than normal. But I wanted to pose this question to you because we can talk. We could dive into depth on all of these four teams, but they're all just bad basketball teams. Let's be honest here. <laughs> of these four, though, which would you rather? be what position would you rather be in Memphis Sacramento Dallas or Phoenix going forward I I will say Phoenix because I think they've got maybe the cleanest cap sheet of of the group uh they have the ability to get a, a ton of picks like uh if you look at what they've got coming in on top of their own pick they've got a first round pick for Miami which is top seven protected so that's going to come in they got a first round pick from Milwaukee which is protected one through 10 and then 17 through 30 so it's kind of weird I don't know if they'll get it or not they probably won't because Milwaukee's pretty good but they could get that next season uh they've got uh, a second round pick from Milwaukee they've got second round pick from Toronto all in this draft. So they've got their own draft pick and then a bunch of those picks. They're in a position to, if there's a, a trade that pops up, they can package some of these young guys with promise and and pull something off. Or they can use those picks and try to see if they want to build around that young core. Devin Booker, I know, I mean, he's obviously a big-time scorer. We'll have to see if he can develop into an, a, a more well-rounded player. But, you know, you, you got to see what you have with Peyton Booker and TJ Warren around the perimeter there. I, I think they might be in the best position. Dallas is is a mess. They've got maybe the best young player of the group in Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, Sacramento is okay, but it's Sacramento. They have weird talent there, though. Yeah, and it's it's their yeah. organization and everything, and they've got a lot of like bigs in it. You know, I again, you just don't trust that team 
whatsoever. But yeah, wouldn't you? I think you'd say Dallas is probably second best in there. And I also like Mark Cuban just coming out today uh, in an interview saying, hey, I brought the guys together. I said we should try and lose some games and we're not going to be competitive. It's interesting to go to your players and kind of say that, but I think I like the openness about it and just kind of the embrace of it in this race to the bottom. Memphis, though, is just kind of in a weird spot, aren't they? With a lot of talent here that they're just kind of bad this year due to injury and firing their head coach and kind of the train wreck that they've been all year. But no way does this really help their long-term prospects, But especially when you're carrying Chandler Parsons and that salary there. They're the team I don't want to be. And the the funny thing is that of those four teams, Memphis will probably become better – Faster, I guess, in the short term, they're the team that within two or three years, which team is going to make the playoffs? I'd probably say men. Right, exactly. But that's because they didn't pull off trades that they should have traded. And Memphis is this weird place because I know Memphis, the fan base is, I, I think, a little worried about losing their team. And Memphis fans may just want a team that's good. And, and if they happen to someday compete for a championship, great. But I know we're mostly all conditioned to look at these things as championship or bust. But for some teams, for some fan bases, they just don't see it that way. I think Memphis is one of those fan bases that would rather keep their team and have a team that's kind of like what the Hawks had been a few years ago, middling around four, five, six seeds, somewhere in there. And if they catch fire... Great. If they don't, they still have a fun team that goes to the playoffs and they can have fun with it. So that being said, that's why they didn't go off and trade Marc Gasol or make make him available. That's why they stood pat, I guess, on Tyreek Evans. That was uh, that's a different story. That that move was the weird. Yeah, that's one you could dive into deeper. But that seems like he's not even going to be there next year or command more money in their cap situation. It's pretty ugly. And so to get some asset for him, maybe to your Celtics and other teams, you know, seemed like it would have made a lot of sense. I don't know if that's where they just put too much of an asking price on him. But I can I can tell you for sure they were trying to get deals done and just nothing materialized. And it seemed like a missed opportunity because they're trying to rebuild on the fly in a weird way. Like you said, of all the teams here, they're the one that's most likely going to be in playoff contention next season, largely because they should just be healthy and have Conley back, and that instantly is going to improve your franchise. Use the Tyreek Evans deal to try and get a pick and maybe add kind of, you know, one of those middle first-round picks that sometimes catch fire uh, along with your own top lottery pick, and you have a chance maybe to be a better team going forward rather than maybe falling out of the playoff race after three or four seasons. Yeah, I totally agree with you. The thing with Memphis that I really don't like is their cap situation is just a mess. Like you said, Conley, Conley's making $30 million. Parsons got 24 million. Gasol, 24 million. They have committed next year, guaranteed $101 million. And they still have to fill out the, the rest of their bench. This was an opportunity. First of all, they don't have bird rights on Tyreek Evans. So to sign him, they have to dip into their own mid-level exception, which is bad. You don't want to do that with Tyreek Evans. You want to trade him away, even if they got... Now, I know the Celtics were offering two second rounders and Gershon Yabusele. I'm not saying that was the deal to take, but that was probably similar to the deals that other teams were offering. A young guy that has some level of promise, who knows, and then a couple of second round picks. Those second round picks have value in that you could draft guys that you can hold to maybe non-guaranteed contracts, or structure contracts that you can get out of if it doesn't pan out. You can take a swing for the fences, and you never know. Lots of lots of talent in the second round. Or you've got two more picks to package, turn around, and maybe get in a trade for somebody else. But the, you basically have blown your opportunity. And if Tyreek Evans walks, which he probably should, then you have an opportunity. You, you have missed an opportunity. I think Memphis really screwed things up. Uh, so. That that's that's why I that's the one team in that bottom bottom four that I just don't want to be. I like the Suns going forward. You know, all four of these teams have their issues. Certainly, all of them have it on the defensive side of the ball. I think almost all of them rank in the bottom third when it comes to defense, which being a bad team isn't necessarily surprising, considering they also have young talent, which takes a little bit of time to kind of acclimate to the NBA and how you've got to defend. But yeah, definitely, I think Phoenix is the best one going forward. So. 
Let's jump to that weird half tier that we talked about, which you said in the opening about the Lakers. What what are your thoughts on them just kind of as if, as the season's gone on in general? Well, they they've shown the, you know, some nice ability to to win games that I didn't think they were going to they're going to win. Uh Randall has stepped up and even in the face of uh trade rumors has done I think okay. Uh Brandon Ingram has shown himself to be a a potential star player. Uh, then, then they have to figure out basically now what does Lonzo become. Uh, but I think they have some promise. And and now with the trade that they pulled off, they do have those two max slots. I guess the big question for the Lakers is, what if? What if you don't get two max players? Everybody's pipe dream is you add LeBron and you add Paul George. But what if one or both of those guys doesn't go? Yeah, that's interesting. And this as a Pelicans guy kind of terrifies me because if you do whiff on both of those, you know, with DeMarcus Cousins having this injury and being a free agent, you'd like to maybe get him a little bit below market. But this is a Lakers team that I think might offer him a max deal potentially just to say they made a move and they signed a big name player if they whiff on big people in free agency. So the Lakers are going to probably annoy the hell out of me when it comes to that time of the year here because you're right. What do you then do? And let's not pretend like the Lakers fan base is really going to be thrilled forever to kind of be in this rebuilding mode and this losing mode, especially when you don't have a first round pick in this draft to kind of get excited about for the future. So you're selling people on these players they already have and Lonzo Ball and, you know, he's been out and injured, but there's still kind of some questions swirling around him. So they're in a really weird spot. And I think that's why we kind of put them in this separate tier from the bottom four. Yeah, that's that they are and it, there's there are a lot of questions like we've been saying with Lonzo Ball. If Lonzo Ball ends up figuring things out and becoming a star player, then that changes the dynamic significantly because if they are able to add a couple of big free agents or at least one, you know, maybe maybe it's not necessarily two guys now. Uh maybe they th- here's another option. Maybe they try to figure something out with uh with Isaiah Thomas. And they give Isaiah Thomas the JJ Reddick contract. You want you want some money? We've got money to spend. If they whiff completely on uh, two major free agents, what if they gave Isaiah Thomas one year? Here's twenty million because we've got a ton of cap space. We've got to spend the money somewhere. Let's put a little pressure on Lonzo. Let's kind of let let the Ball family know, let Lavar know that you know we're keeping our options open here, buddy. You let Isaiah kind of do his thing, and then you kick the can down the road, and then maybe you figure out a way to play Lonzo and Isaiah together, and Isaiah just plays a little more off the ball, and and you just develop, and then you see what happens with Ingram, and maybe you maybe you keep Randall. Who knows? I I, I don't know. I, I think the Lakers do have some options uh, if they can find a way this summer to get off the Luol Deng contract, then that helps a significant amount, but. Um, yeah, I, I, they, they do have some big question marks. If, if they miss on free agency, it's going to be interesting to see what they do in the summer of 2019. If so, I'm going to go a separate direction here, but I agree with you. They have a lot of different directions they can go with everything, which at least makes them intriguing. And I think what they should do is kick that can down the road for another year and then try and make a splash and maybe wait out free agency a little bit in the early stages to figure out where guys go. If LeBron resigns for another year in Cleveland, wait a year and then don't spend your money on a long term deal for someone that's not going to necessarily live up to it or it might be an overpay and can kind of cripple your franchise going forward, even with all the cap room they have. If you were a GM, though, would you openly talk about other players to the media constantly? <laughs> not if I wanted to keep my money. Yeah. Uh, this, yeah. I, mind blowing. I don't know, just man. Keeps doing the same thing. Like, this is why I, I kind of worry about them because it just seems like, hey, magic. And I'm from Los Angeles originally. I grew up a Laker fan. And to to see this, it's yeah, just you and I today with the Lakers Celtics thing with me here and then Anthony Davis and Boston, of course. And there's news about that a little bit today, too. <laughs> it's like magic. Just shut up and r- try and run the franchise. And I get nervous there with them. Yeah. Well, look, I think magic, he's learning on the fly a little bit and he, uh, I think, understands now, maybe, maybe 
that he can't keep doing what he's doing. But beyond talking about other players, like he's got to learn how to handle himself just in general when it comes to talking about players. Like what worse than the tampering, which I understand why he had to be fined. I didn't think it was necessarily tampering, but I get it. Letter of the law, whatever. Worse than that, disrespectful to Lou Aldang to when when they were asked if they had any traction on moving his his contract, he laughed and said no. Now they immediately sort of kind of regrouped in that moment, but they that was a little disrespectful to Lou Aldang to to kind of laugh it off and kind of it did kind of dehumanize him a little bit. I know that wasn't the intent. I'm not saying that he tried to do that, but Magic's got a lot to learn about that. Magic's role in that organization is not necessarily to be pulling all of the strings on all the player movement. Magic's big role is going to be this summer if LeBron James takes that meeting or if Paul George takes that meeting and he sits there as a, an L.A. guy and he's sitting across the table from a legend, a guy that he grew up you know, idolizing and seeing as, man, Magic's one of the all-time greats. And now he's looking at me, flashing that winning smile, giving me that pitch. That's that's mesmerizing. That's where Magic Johnson really is the biggest asset to the Lakers. Yeah, and look, the things you say in public about players really matters. Look at how that relationship with DeMarcus Cousins and Vladi kind of soured when all of this stuff started swirling around him last year. And then they had said, oh no, we're not going to trade you. And then he goes to the media talking about how we were trying to trade him the whole time. Kind of sows seeds maybe of distrust between the franchise there and some of the players. And that's never a good situation. Last thing I'll say on the Lakers, though, is I do like Luke Walton as a coach. It's not always easy to reach some of these guys and get them playing hard, but this Lakers team really does have a lot of energy. They kind of fit what he's trying to do, and I really like the work he's done out there. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that he's, with with the whole ball situation, that's been – he doesn't need that crap. He really just doesn't need that crap. I don't think crap, needs but, that crap. Uh, yeah, who who does? Yeah, right. <laughs> maybe if Byron Scott was still coaching, I'd be like, all right, maybe he deserves it a little bit. But no, uh, I, I think he's he's handled himself well. And look, the the Lakers were always kind of a question mark, and for them to have twenty three wins to be look, they're what are eight eight games out of the last uh, out out of the eighth seed. They're not gonna they're not gonna get there. But the fact that they are technically within striking distance, uh, a bit of a run, they, you know, they start to make things a little bit interesting. You know, maybe if they, they can get to within five games or four, you, things kind of change, but they're also kind of the same, almost the same distance from the bottom. But uh, as, as a Celtics fan, that's been watching the Lakers with a particular interest because uh, I've been wondering, wondering if we can, we're going to get that pick. They, they, the, the Celtics, for people who don't know, through Philadelphia can get the Lakers pick if it falls two through five. Otherwise, it goes to Philly. So they're not really playing for anything this year as far as the draft goes. They, their pick is, is, is not theirs. But it's been impressive. I thought the Lakers were going to be a little bit worse than this. And, you know, we'll see. We'll maybe, maybe when Lonzo comes back, we'll see if there's going to be some animosity between him and Isaiah Thomas. And maybe that'll that'll uh, change the entire dynamic. Side note, I feel bad for Isaiah Thomas. I really do. I don't know where he's going to get his money. Uh, this That situation, yeah, There's no one's holding a bag of cash for him now. And it, it, to see kind of the fall he's had has been fairly surprising. And it's a shame. You just want to root for a guy like that. And he's just done everything right, it seems. And now it's like there's just no uh, payday. I, being, being the Boston guy, I saw Isaiah's best. So... That's uh, spent a lot of time on our podcast talking about Isaiah Thomas. And really, for the first time, you know how it is. You, you, you cover the team. And again, I'm a Boston guy, so I, have a, I definitely have an affinity for the Celtics. But you try to separate yourself from everything, and you, you try to approach things as objectively as you possibly can. But Isaiah captivated Boston so much that I, I really just found myself rooting for him and playing after his sister's death. And, and playing through that hip injury, which he really should not have done now you look back on it, especially, uh, it's just I, I feel bad because he's a guy that I think earned 
a significant payday. And then that Cleveland situation was just the worst possible thing he could go through. And now here he is playing for the Lakers, and I don't know where he's going to get his money. Uh, speaking of our podcast, for those of you who don't know me, I'm John Corrales. I am one of the hosts of the Locked On Celtics podcast. We, uh, It's me, it's Jay King, and Sam Packard. Now, I was a basketball player. I played in Europe for a short time. So I, I come at things very much from a player perspective, and I come at things definitely trying to analyze the game as much as I can from a player perspective. Jay, who played also in college, is the insider. He is the, the beat writer for MassLive.com, and he is with the team on a daily basis, day in, day out. So he's got he's, he's our insider. Sam Packard loves to get the jokes off. So he's, he's our comic relief. Uh, obviously he knows the game very much and he's, he's worked in Boston media for a while. So it's a nice little dynamic that we have here. So if, I'm hoping that you guys want to check us out, uh, locked on Celtics.com or search for locked on Celtics, where you found us, the locked on NBA show and search for, we were uh, on Twitter at, at Rainin underscore Jays. Cause we started out as the rain and Jays podcast before we joined the network, or you can just fo- follow me, Reds Army underscore John on Twitter, and you'll find everything. Yeah, and I'm Jake Madison, host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast, credential member of the media here for the past number of years in New Orleans, covering this team since before Anthony Davis and when they were called the Hornets, which feels like forever ago. If you're interested in the Pelicans, whether they're going to make the playoffs or not, kind of the big experiment they have, really the big experiment with Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins, make sure you tune in to Locked On Pelicans and check out LockedOnPelicans.com daily. All right, now let's get into the the, the real meat of this podcast, because this is this is where the West really gets fun. These are all teams. There's no tanking involved with these teams. They've all got winning records. They're all within four and a half games of each other. And you've got the Jazz, who are the hottest team in the NBA, who have gotten themselves up to uh, just a game and a half out of the eighth seed. So working our way up, it's the Jazz, Clippers, your New Orleans Pelicans, the Blazers, Nuggets, Thunder, Timberwolves and Spurs. So that's a lot of teams for not as many spots. Two of those teams are going to be out. So let's start there. Which two of those teams do you think misses the playoffs? You know, this is actually a really tough question. And as someone who's kind of in the thick of this and embedded in this race here, I I don't really have a good answer. I think uh, my initial reaction is to say, I think the Clippers aren't going to make it in. You know, trading Blake Griffin, even though it brought them back a little bit more depth, not necessarily deciding to tank and kind of fall out of this by keeping DeAndre Jordan and maybe be willing to let him expire or hope he picks up the player option. I just don't know if I trust that team enough to get in. But again, they're here, they're in competition for all of this they have a winning record despite all the injuries they've sustained this year and they're still out there I think if you look at ninth Utah or sorry 10th in Utah they're the hottest team in the NBA right now look like they're playing some of the best basketball I'm a little bit biased as well thinking the Pels get in you know I, I think if you have to kind of pick two I'm going to go with the Clippers and Portland you know I think Portland's rounding into form as well a little bit so this is kind of a pretty tough decision I don't really have a good answer yeah, there is no good answer. It's hard to it's hard to say. Um, and look, I, I agree that the Clippers are probably probably going to be out. Uh, but they've it, it, the big thing for them. There's two things: uh, health. If Gallinari stays healthy, which is the hugest if, then then they he can he can be good enough to help them hold on to the eighth seed. I don't trust that at all. And the other thing is how do Tobias Harris and Avery Bradley fit into the situation? Are will the Clippers even hold on to both those guys? Will Avery Bradley get bought out? Is he willing to get bought out? Is he going to be pushing for that? I don't think so. I think they're just going to roll with this and see where it goes. I the chemistry there if it's I don't know if it's going to be good enough for them to hold on. I'm going to lean Clippers out and I hate to say it in our first podcast. Oh, oh, wow. We're going there already. Um, I think it's going to be close, obviously, but losing boogie, I think is, is too much. And I just can't see a team 
that is starting a Mecca Okafor in 2018 being a team that can close out the season strong. Uh, but you, you have Anthony Davis and, and Rondo has his moments and, and you get some nice contributions across the board. If Miritich can come in and, and be, uh, you know, a, a big time contributor, I, I could be wrong, but I, I think the Pelicans just barely slide out. I, I think the Jazz, maybe it's a little bit of fool's gold here, but if Gobert is healthy, I think he's a big reason why that that team can can keep going. They're so much better with him on the court. And Crowder, I think, I, I don't know what the hell happened to him in Cleveland. I think Crowder, you know, with, you know, Snyder as his coach and playing in that, in a system, he seems happy as he says, I'm happy to be playing in a system again. I think Crowder can, can kind of regain some of his Boston form. So I think, I think Utah sneaks in and I think the Pelicans just fall out. That easily could happen. And I'm not going to hold this against you, even though I'm probably going to send you angry messages or something (laughs) tomorrow. I will say in the Pelicans defense, look, the starting of a Mecca Okafor has been very odd, but it has led the Pelicans to a three game winning streak here. And I actually think for all the flack that head coach Alvin Gentry has gotten, he's doing some of his best work now with this team. They're on a three game winning streak heading into the all-star break where they have Uh, Anthony Davis averaging over 41 points per game in those three contests. And it's really going to just depend on him. This is a guy who has such a high ceiling. Everyone considers a top 10, top five player in the NBA, but does have a tendency to disappear in games and put up those really disappointing 14 point performances where he doesn't look like he's checked in. If he's checked in, he's, he's definitely good enough to carry this team to the playoffs. You have Okafor starting for about six, seven minutes in the first, just to kind of take away that defensive assignment against a team's kind of bigger, bruisier center and let Davis play his preferred position of power forward before bringing in the firepower of Miritich off the bench, who gives you some of what Boogie kind of gave you with the court spacing, which is what Anthony Davis needs to thrive. And I agree with you. I love everything going on with this Jazz team, an 11-game winning streak. With Rudy Gobert in the lineup and healthy for him, they have a higher winning percentage of teams in the Western Conference, except for Houston and Golden State, which shows you the level that they play at with him there. I just wonder if they can sustain this form for the rest of the season. That's going to be a little bit tough to hold it down over 24 games when you've been streaking like this. But again, good coaching can potentially keep that going. And they really, I think, got one of the better ones in Quinn Snyder there. Yeah, absolutely. Quinn Snyder, if the Jazz... I wonder what the coach of the year, how the coach of the year stuff is going to play out because you have so many options that uh, the Jazz could be one of those teams like Miami last year. Like, remember Miami made that huge, huge run and everybody was like, wow, oh, Spolstra could coach of the year type of candidate. Here come the Jazz making a, a run, you know, slightly different situation, but yeah, they're making that run. And all of a sudden, Snyder gets into that. He gets a few votes for kind of helping pull pull that team together. Obviously, you've got your your normal candidates, D'Antoni, Kerr, Popovich, who should always be the, the coach of the year, in my opinion. You know, how how do you how do you ever vote against Greg Popovich? But, you know, as as a Boston guy, Brad Stevens, you know, Dwayne Casey in Toronto. But anyway, not not to digress too much. The point is that the Jazz are a very well coached team and a very high energy team. And they are I, I think I think they can do more and look, and they've got a potential rookie in the year in in Donovan Mitchell. I mean, that guy is is a, a hell of a player. So so I mean, I don't know how much longer he's going to be able to keep it up, but they they've got a they've got a nice team right there. Yeah. So it sounds like we both kind of agree that the Spurs are going to be in, Minnesota is going to be in, OKC is in, and Denver is going to be in. I think those are pretty safe bets, especially with Denver poised to get Paul Millsap back somewhat soon. They're playing a little bit better defense than they've been playing all year. That's kind of been their problem. Jokic is looking just, again, like an absolute superstar as he should. I think everyone loves him now. Out of those four teams, San Antonio, Minnesota, OKC, and Denver, which one do you maybe like in the playoffs the most? Well, I think... Well, I, I just can never bet against the Spurs, regardless of situation. It, and who knows what they're going to get when uh, or if they're going to get uh, Kawhi Leonard back. Or I don't know what's what's happening there. So if he comes back and can contribute, then 
obviously the entire the entire thing changes. They on paper don't seem like a team that is going to go very far, but here they are tied for the third, basically the third seed uh, percentage points over Minnesota. I just trust the Spurs to get further. I don't trust Minnesota because I think that those guys are going to be tired. I think Thibodeau is just going to wear those guys out and they're going to run out of gas. Uh, the Thunder, I I don't trust necessarily because they're the Thunder and those three guys uh, still. I don't I don't know what happens in the playoffs if they're going to revert to old habits and losing Roberson is a big deal. So I, I don't trust the Thunder as much as I trust the Spurs. Maybe I put them ahead of Minnesota. Denver's a wild card. Look, Jokic is I, – I, I love Jokic. So I'll say this. I think the Spurs hold on to home court, and that's going to be a big deal. Of those other teams, I think – God, who's going to get home – who's going to get that fourth seed? You think Denver can get that fourth? I think Denver can can get that fourth seed. They've been playing really well recently. They've started to put some things together. And again, their big problem early on in the year was their defense was really not great. And they've started to improve slightly and slightly and slightly while keeping that kind of high octane offense they get, they have. And now you get Paul Millsap back who might take you to another level. It's basically like a trade deadline type of deal for him where you get someone all of a sudden. And if they can integrate him back in and should be fine because he's been with them, you know, through the whole year and through training camp and all of that, they they easily could sneak up on teams. Yeah. And look, they, and they got a hell of a backcourt. I mean, it's not it's not Dame and CJ McCollum, but Gary Harris and Jamal Murray are, are will do damage. And when you can run an offense through Jokic and you've got Millsap coming back. That I think is a big deal. I'll I'll go out on the limb, and I'll say that Denver ends up in the fourth seed. They pass Oklahoma City. They pass the Timberwolves. I think the Timberwolves fade a little bit late, and so that home court could get the Nuggets past a couple of these other teams. A uh, how much fun would a Nuggets Thunder series be? Oh man, yeah, that that would be a lot of fun. I always enjoy the first round matchups where you just kind of get fun teams against each other, even though sometimes it ends up in kind of a lopsided series victory. But I, you know, I think I'd take Denver in that series too. I'm with you that this Oklahoma City team is kind of weird, and for whatever reason, I don't trust them. Even though on paper they look so good right now, for the most part. I just I, I don't trust any of those guys going into the playoffs this season for some reason. I don't know if it's just a feeling or what have you, but some seems a little bit off there to me. Yeah, like I said, not having uh, Roberson there is a big it's a big loss. It's a huge loss. Now, granted, in the playoffs, teams have been able to game plan for him, and it, it's been kind of tough figuring out where when to play him. But he's been such a key to their defense that. That losing him puts a lot of pressure on other guys. And, and Paul George is a, is a hell of a defender, but Carmelo Anthony is not. And so if you end up with a situation where Carmelo has to switch onto somebody, it's it's just not a it's not a great situation. So um, and when things get tough, people revert to old habits and. To their credit, they're playing a more free, open style of, of basketball right now, and it's working. They're just kind of letting it happen, and it works. But when things get tense in a playoff situation and the clock is ticking down, those guys are all going to want to start to go back to being the man. Carmelo Anthony especially, Westbrook obviously, and and Paul George is, is going to try. He doesn't have a great history doing it. I don't know. I think there's I think there's a spectacular flame out that's going to happen there, especially when you consider the passing open style that Denver plays. It, and I just think that the matchup's going to be really super interesting. Uh, again, who who guards Murray, who guards Harris in that situation? I think I think Denver could win a series like that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, depending on how the seeding goes, that's where this is really going to make an impact. And another team that we haven't even really touched on, I said maybe they fall out of the playoffs, is Portland, who has kind of been an interesting team to really watch all year long. You think of them as this kind of surefire offense with Lillard 
and McCollum there. But really, for the first part of the year, they hung their hat on defense, uh, ranking in the top 10, kind of anchored by Nurkic there. And now the offense is starting to round into form, and they look like they could pretty much get it going. And we've all been waiting for them to falter for the first part of the year. They had the easiest schedule. And then after we kind of hit that midway point, it got a whole lot tougher, and they haven't been losing games. And I think as you and I have been talking about this, it's just a, a jumbled mess in that middle of the Western Conference. And almost any of these teams could get in and almost any two of them could potentially fall out. Yeah, and here's the biggest problem for the, the Blazers. They're, they're, they're within striking distance. Anybody, the, the Spurs can sneeze and fall out of the playoffs completely. Like that's, they're only three games out from, three and a half games out from not even being in the playoffs and they're currently the third seed. So anything can happen, but Portland needs to make a little bit of a run. There's not much time left to, and the opportunity to make up three games in the standings is starting to slip a little bit. Obviously, it's still possible, but how probable is it when you consider all of the player, all the teams they have to face ahead of them? So Portland's biggest issue is getting out of that seventh or eighth seed because. That seventh or eighth seed is the Rockets or Warriors, and you don't want that. That's instant death. And you can you can talk about matchups and all that stuff, but I don't think they're matching up. They they can make things a little interesting, but they are not beating the Rockets or the Warriors. In fact, no one is. So uh, that that to me is is Portland's biggest problem. They need to get out of that seventh hole and I don't know I don't know that they will no and again it depends if they kind of revert to being the years past teams that aren't great on defense or if the offense starts to falter a little bit like it did to start the year you might see some issues there I think they've got a lot of high energy and effort guys though which I really like and again it might get you into the playoffs as you said here uh, but you know Ed Davis Al Farouk Aminu trying down low and working really hard isn't going to help you beat the Rockets and the Warriors yeah, uh, so let's since we're since we're here, let's talk about the the marquee matchup, right? Let's talk about the Warriors and the Rockets. Okay, we take a deep breath. Let's catch our breaths. <laughs> <laughs> well, here. So again, uh, my name's Jake Madison. I'm here with John. We're going to be here every Wednesday with you all. So make sure you give us follows. I'm at Nola Jake on Twitter. John, your your handle's a little bit longer than that. I'm going to let you say Red, it here. Reds Army underscore John, because I started out RedsArmy.com. Me and uh, I was one of the co-founders there. So I've had that Twitter handle forever. Uh, so that's where you find me on Twitter. Okay. Warriors and Houston has become a... Pretty tight. In fact, the, the the Rockets obviously now go into the come out of the All Star break a half game ahead of the Warriors. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say is anybody worried about the Warriors because I don't think anybody should. Right? It, let me let me just ask you this: Do you agree with this Warriors, for lack of a better term, swoon? Is that just mo- mostly boredom? Yeah, I think so. Like, I'm not worried about them whatsoever. You know, again, this is a team that knows they can coast during the regular season. They get to have a lot of fun. And they, you know, there's teams, maybe one or two, that can take a night off. And they're one of the teams. And you're not going to worry about it. When you see another team do it, then there's a cause for concern. But basically, at this point, I think they deserve the benefit of the doubt when it almost comes to anything. And the only way I'm going to really sour on this team in any capacity or even be down on them a little bit, is if they get a major injury to one of their guys. And even then, they still might be able to have enough firepower and enough talent on this team to get past it. Yeah, I, I, I just don't think the Warriors have much to worry about short of any sort of injury. Uh, and that's, that's they're, they're obviously the class of the West. However, the Rockets are obviously really good and super interesting in that they are you know now regularly taking more threes than twos their offense has is completely optimized for today's NBA and to me the the key to this whole thing might be Chris Paul 
And Chris Paul's ability and willingness to take, of all things, mid-range jumpers. Because the way the Houston Rockets have been beaten a lot is in a playoff series, teams are able to kind of pack the paint and knowing that the they're not going to settle for any mid-range jumpers, just run them off the line and then wait for them to just try to attack the paint and try to attack the rim and just meet them there and challenge those shots. Chris Paul, to me, if he can get into that mid-range and just soften up the defense a little bit, and I'm not talking about that the long two where you step in off of a three-pointer, which everybody hates. I'm talking about just getting into the free-throw elbow area as a Boston guy, the Paul Pierce area, and being willing to take that shot, which will force the rim defender, wherever he is, to step out just enough. And what that allows is backdoor cuts from the corners. That allows guys to slide in for rebounds. It allows uh, some guys to kind of give a little head and shoulder fake and drive. And if you're willing to take that shot uh, and you can hit it at a very high rate, then that needs to be defended. The magic number is always 35% from three. If you take that, uh, you know you need to hit 50% from two to, to, to beat that. Well, Chris Paul can hit 55%, 60% uncontested from that area. That becomes an efficient shot now. So to me, that area has, has the ability to reshape a series. If he and even James Harden, if those guys can make those shots consistently and force a defense to defend that and react to that shot, then that opens up everything all over again. Now you don't know when everything's coming. It's like in a boxing match. If all of a sudden you you start softening up the body, then everything's in play. Then you can start going for the headshots later on and, and go for a knockout. That could be something that actually shake, shakes them past the Warriors. That might actually be enough to get the Rockets to the finals. I think the Rockets to the finals is a possibility here. Oh, I certainly think it's a possibility, but I think if they kind of rely too much on that mid-range game, and I'm going to go opposite direction from here, I think the Golden State Warriors would absolutely love that. You know, this Rockets team is probably the only one in the league that's going to feel comfortable in a three-point shootout with the Golden State Warriors. And I think Golden State almost wants to be in that kind of three-point shootout, knowing that they just have the horses to carry them across the finish line with everything. And at a certain point, sometimes it just kind of comes down to math, where if one team's making threes, which we know the Warriors will do, I think they're the one team that might be kind of you know impervious to going cold from deep for an extended period of time. They're going to end up winning, and I think they want them to take those mid-range twos or even get to the rim you can see teams start to beat Houston by just running them off the three-point line living with them attacking inside with Harden and Paul and Capella and the alley-oops and everything they do there knowing that you can at least get the ball back and you're going to make it up on the other end but like you said if Golden State starts stepping out onto those plays and that mid-range game and they can open things up a little bit more and get some easier looks then yeah Houston's going to look really good because this is the only team I think we all all agree that can really give Golden State a run for their money. And this is going to be a pretty fun, hopefully, seven-game series for us. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, look, I, I just – I'm looking at these matchups, and, and I think that you're going to see some real interesting things develop. Uh, the big question is, you know, what happens with Ryan Anderson? That's a big, that's a big thing because how much is he going to be able to play – and that, if you talk about the things that can swing the series, definitely in Golden State's favor. Well, if you isolate him and get a switch onto the wrong matchup, well, and he's not the best defender to begin with, and I've no. seen him a lot here in New Orleans. He's definitely a defensive liability out there, and you have to figure when he's going to be in there, they're just going to be attacking and attacking his spot, and you know, Golden State's going to make you pay, particularly on switches. Absolutely, absolutely. So that's that's going to be an interesting. Uh, how how do you play that? What, what do they do? Do they maybe put PJ Tucker in at the four and, and go that route? I mean, that could be an interesting uh, little adjustment. Uh, you can 
play. You can go small and put Jer- Gerald Green at the three and Ariza at the four. You know, you have you have options. Both teams can can kind of play a little gamesmanship and kind of figure that out. But I really do think, and I, I'm going to go back to the mid range thing. The, the key here is not the long twos. It's that middle of the floor where teams defensively have been able to abandon that particular part of the floor. And if you just soften up that defense, that opens up the perimeter. You can you can start getting those three-point shots all over again. I know the, the three-point shootout is definitely going to be something to watch, and it's definitely going to be a, an element to this. I think the Warriors are just so good defensively that they will be able to run the, the, the Rockets off of the three. They have to find another way to get those open three-pointers. Those are the shots they want, and those are the shots they should definitely take a lot more of. But it's just, like I said, body blow. You got to do it enough, just enough to just land a couple of shots to the ribs and get those defenses down a little bit to open up those shots to the head. And I think that that's something that I don't know. I don't know if D'Antoni is is willing to do something like that. And I, I think the the two biggest things with D'Antoni and whether the Warriors, uh, whether the 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 Rockets can beat the Warriors is, is D'Antoni going to know which personnel to put on the floor at the right time to, to force mismatches with the, with the Warriors somehow. And is he willing to do things, maybe change some of the offense a little bit. And I know they've had this historic offense and it, maybe it sounds like blasphemy for, from some people, but are you willing to make an adjustment just a little bit to basically for the greater good and do a little something different offensively that might throw the Warriors off enough so you can get back to later on in the game doing what you do best to close things out. That, to me, is the key. No, of course. And I think another big important area is going to be on the boards. You know, Houston ranks as the second-best defensive rebound team, partially because they're taking an absurd amount of three-pointers per game and forcing opponents that aren't as comfortable with those type of shots or that volume when it comes to shooting from deep to shoot from there. And this team can kind of grab those long rebounds when the opponent's inevitably missing and trying to push out in transition. You know, Golden State tends to get back and get set. It kind of takes away some of those transition points uh, from you. And I don't know if Houston's, like you said, is going to be able to follow this game plan to the T that they've been doing all season long. And they are going to need to make some adjustments uh, but Mike D'Antoni's done a really good job with this franchise. You know, when he was hired, I didn't buy into it at all and thought this was going to be a bit of a disaster. And I've been really proven wrong with this one, the especially this year. Yeah, D'Antoni, I, I have uh, maybe a, a take that I'm not the biggest fan of D'Antoni as a head coach. D'Antoni with the right tools, like like these Rockets, is phenomenal. But D'Antoni, I think he believes in a system and without the players in that system, like he had in New York, you know, like, or the Lakers, that can be a disaster. And if they, if he doesn't have the right horses, then he can't necessarily get the job done, but with the right horses and man, he's got the best horses for his system right now. He looks like a freaking genius and offensively he is a genius. And the, the, the biggest thing with the Rockets is they have done fairly well defensively, better defensively, I think, than expected. I think that's the biggest surprise. Yeah, that's... Than anyone was going to expect them to do. That's where I thought we were going to see a disaster here. Yeah, they might go out and score, you know, 120 points a game, but they were going to be giving up 125, particularly with, you know, no defense from James Harden, really. But he's kind of got his team to buy in, which is not always an easy thing to do. I think that's maybe where you see some of his best work is on that defensive side of the ball. Yeah, that's it. and their entire coaching staff has done a great job. So I got to give credit where credit is due. It, it, doing things that are, are necessary to win, you know, forty-four games. They've got the best record in the NBA at the All Star break, and they're getting ready to close this thing out. Uh, so we'll see, we'll see, and we'll see. I think one thing before we wrap up the show, you know, James Harden has been criticized for kind of faltering a bit in the playoffs, you know, last year against the Spurs. That's I don't know. Like, I, I just don't like to see a guy saddled with that. So I kind of like to see Harden kind of get past that. Uh, so that's another question, I guess, with the Rockets. But there they are on top of on top of the West. So let's kind of recap the show. We we've broken this up into tiers. We think that the Phoenix Suns of the worst of the worst teams are in the best position to build a potential winner. 
Uh, I hope Rob Sarver doesn't screw that up for them. Uh, Lakers are super interesting, and they can go any different way. Like that little shot I just That's snuck in there. That's good. That's like kind of under yeah. the radar and everything. I said it kind of <laughs> a little bit quietly. Just a little, just a little shade at the, maybe one of the worst owners in the NBA. But that's a side note. Uh, that middle of the pack is going to be super interesting to watch. I think we're in agreement. Spurs uh, are going to always dangerous, and it's that it's that bottom, that bottom of the pack there, that bottom of the the playoff pack that's going to be super interesting. And it, it's going to be tight. And I think ultimately what it's going to come down to is health. If any team suffers, even like a remotely serious injury to, or, or to like yep. a crippling injury in the sense of to a player that's important. Look. They're going to probably fall right on out of there. And, you know, almost at the end of the season, the healthiest team is the one that's going to get in. Jokic lands on a foot and turns his ankle and misses two weeks. They're done. That's that's very simple. It's very simple. And you could say that about the main guy on any of these teams. And uh, I think now where did we settle? Who who comes out of the West when this is all said and done? Do you think Houston or do you think Golden State? Oh, I think Golden State. Look, I'm excited for an entertaining series between Houston and Golden State, and I think we all know it's going to head that direction again, barring injury. You know, I want to give Houston a puncher's chance in this, but again, they're, they're the Warriors, and we know what they're capable of. And mm-hmm. I trust Golden State shooting more than I trust Houston shooting just because of who they are, and I think that might make the difference there. Uh, you just never see Golden State really going cold for an extended period of time. But Houston, if they can get a win on the road, you never know what's necessarily going to happen. I'd give yep. them maybe, I don't know, 20 to 25% somewhere in there. Yeah, you know, I'll go I'll go a little higher. I'll say I'll say 35%. In fact, I, I, I'm, I'm actually kind of hoping for the Rockets to come out of the West. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Just, and again, for something new to, if you see, you know, the Warriors go down, man, that's going to be super interesting. Uh, at some point we'll have to talk about the Warriors future and what they're going to do. Payroll wise. That's going to be an interesting that, yeah. podcast. Absolutely. is going to be a podcast that we have to do down the road. Uh, at some point we're going to be here for you every Wednesday, everybody. So a lot more discussion. Uh, there are a lot more storylines, but we hope that you enjoyed the, uh, West Coast wrap up our, our little unique perspective on on the uh, the Western Conference. Uh, if you are enjoying this show, and we hope that it's enough for you to subscribe to the Lockdown NBA podcast. If you're already a subscriber, then uh, welcome aboard. We hope you enjoy the new format. Uh, it's going to take some getting used to. We're all going to find our groove, but our goal is to get you a top notch daily NBA podcast covering the previous night's games, the big storylines, any big things that are happening in the league, unique comments, whatever, anything that happens that day that we'll be here to give it to you as a rotating set of hosts. I, John Corrales, and he, Jake Madison, will be here every Wednesday for you. Follow us, Reds Army underscore John at Nola Jake on Twitter. And we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Locked On NBA podcast.